0: Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world.
1: Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity and vulnerability Responsibility. Transform Life is about growth,
0: learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One, One conversation, conversation at a time. time.
1: Live to the full podcast, a message to Christians. Today, we are starting Jimmy's class. Uh, which he's going to give you a quick recap uh, very soon on Summer of Saul. So if you're joining us for the first time, uh, Jimmy loves feedback. Is that correct?
0: I do. Yeah, we're going to have some times for discussion um, for either people in the streamline environment with us, or if people wanted to, you know, put some comments in uh, Facebook or YouTube, we could interact with those as well.
1: Yeah. And we have two uh, guests who are going to come and be part of the class. And before we bring them up, um, I uh, have a question for you, honey. How, sure. What were your thoughts on the Virgin e- e- lactic am, am I saying it correctly, Yeah. Uh, that, that launched today? Because, uh, yeah, you tell me and then I'll tell everybody else why I'm asking this question as we wait for... Um, your participators. Oh, we have Andre here too. This is so exciting. Okay, go
0: on. Hey, Andre. And he's not there you. yet. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Well, um, it, was, it was really, really great getting to see it. Um, you know, in one way, uh, we've been to space before. I know a lot of the talk was like, we finally made it to space. We've been in space for decades. But the thing that was really exciting for me about this is that it opens up the possibility of commercial air flight into space, which that would be so cool to be like, hey guys, I need a few days off. I'm gonna be away because I'm gonna go to space. (laughs) That would be pretty freaking cool. What about you, honey?
1: Okay, well, yeah, I wanna share the moment that we had this morning because um, I get really excited when most people don't rely on these Mainstream broadcasting, and they utilize their own such as YouTube, uh, social media. And I know Richard did YouTube and TikTok, so that's that's exciting to me. And it gets me excited to have uh, a voice in podcasting and YouTube now on Facebook. And then you said, Well, I get to start today, and that gives me chills. Um, to know, and I'm excited for you because, uh, you know, for for a while we've been looking for this platform and or maybe waiting for an answer, waiting for a yes, or waiting for a date, or waiting for a moment. And here we are creating these moments that we could do it with tools like this, such as Streamyard. They don't sponsor this, but I'm really grateful they should for Streamyard. <laughs> Because we get to do this uh, on both uh, both Facebook and YouTube, so we're gonna get right into it because I we have um, your friends. I don't know what we're gonna call it. Like uh, awesome friends are joining us in this journey of your ten weeks, um, and so I'm having a bit of technical issues. like the live today. And it happened. So Jimmy, we're gonna why don't you talk about who who's in the class unless you're not able to see it. And as soon as I get my hands on it, right now I'm not able to see you, nor anybody. Okay, now I can see everybody. Okay, cool. <laughs> So let's bring uh, your, our first our buddy of the evening, just as an intro. We're going to bring up Deacon Salazar. Oh, my goodness. All right. So what will we do? David, you're coming up in three, two, one.
2: Boom.
1: Let's see. Where is David?
2: Hello. Hey. <laughs> How are you guys? We got the rock. The people's. Uh, did you call me Deacon? Pat, did you call me Deacon
0: no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> David, Grandmaster Reverend Fresh, Straight from the <laughs> one, zero, I think. I don't
2: know. I gotta have one of those horns.
0: Da, na, na, na. <laughs> I need a, a
2: bigger intro. Yeah. Nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: tell, tell everybody where where are you joining us from, David?
0: I, I can't hear you.
1: Oh, uh, can you hear me now? Oh, Jimmy, can you repeat the question?
0: She wants to know where you're joining us from. Are you somewhere in the Caribbean? Or are you in an undisclosed uh, government facility?
2: No, I'm in, I'm in my son's room. Hence the uh, <laughs> oh, nice. the toys in uh, unkept room behind me. <laughs> That's cool. I love.
1: Are you uh, are those headsets uh, David's headsets? Your son?
2: No, these are mine. These are mine from okay. back in the day when I used to. Uh, I'll pretend. yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I never DJ. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. And then we got Andre in the house. We're gonna bring Andre in three, two, one. Go. Andre's in the
0: house. Hey, Andre.
3: Hey.
0: How's Ohio?
3: Uh, pretty good. Hot. Very, very hot. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> Cool
1: man! Uh, uh, oh, we're so excited to have somebody in Ohio. It uh, is so cool. Not far from us. Yeah. So it's five thirty, five thirty your time, Andre. Uh,
3: nope, it's six, six thirty, Okay so eight we're, for me.
1: Yeah. We're in the same, we're same same time zone. All right, and then we have one more person. We're gonna bring up Nick Caruso on three, two, one. Sorry, I'm late. Uh, there no worries,
0: is. man. Coca Cola.
1: Yo.
4: Jimmy How's it going, buddy? How you doing? Going in-
0: good. Did you watch uh, the game today, England versus Italy?
4: I sure did. That was a family event right there.
0: Oh man, I didn't get a chance to catch the end. Uh Who won?
4: Uh Italy won in penalties, man. <laughs>
0: nice. That's always exciting. Right. Yeah.
4: My cousin from Italy called me and he said to me, uh, "Cuz, if I um." If I have a heart attack during the penalty shootouts, I just want to let you know I love
1: you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, I love it. So we got soccer fans here. And Nick, you want to tell everybody where you joined us from?
4: Oh, uh, Pennsylvania. Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in Lower Nazareth Township. The it's, it's, um, it's spiritual crutch of the world, Bethlehem and Nazareth at the same exact time. Um,
0: Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I do. The is the awesome. trucks of the United States. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> just messing around. So, so cool, right. Right?
1: all right. Um well yeah, honey, um, while I pull up your information unless you have it in there. I, you know, I have it okay. here, just I'm
0: not sure if I can share.
1: Uh, now you just got to uh, add me in the Google Drive. And as Jimmy is doing that, <laughs> I want to remind everybody who's either on Facebook or YouTube that you could actually join the conversation as well uh, by posting the comments on either or, and we'll be able to chat. And if you want to join next week, I mean, guys, how easy was it getting here? Like, you didn't have to download anything. Tell me about your experience getting in here.
4: Uh, I did. I had to download uh, Firefox because I didn't have it. Um, really? Yeah. Hmm. I, I only use my iMac for for other stuff, so I didn't have it on there. But other than that, it was easy once I got installed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then for everyone who's here, we also have a private chat. So I'm sending you guys a text, so it's right there. It's a little David in the back. He's no longer little. Oh my goodness. tall. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big guy right there. Um, yeah, that is a big guy right there. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, Jimmy, um, I am still pulling that up, uh, but yeah, go ahead and uh, get started here. And now I'm gonna come out, come out, so you can take over, and I'll have your slide very shortly.
0: Okay, you were able to get that that I sent over. Yep, she she's telling me from the other room. We're in the the Y Superstars headquarters here, (laughs) our expansive setup. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming. Uh, You guys all know me, who is here in the stream yard, Uh, Jimmy Z from the 10312, uh, Mm -hmm. coming up from the Shaolin, uh, here to do our first ever Summer of Scripture, Uh, and we're going to be doing a Summer of Saul. All right, so we're going to be looking at sometimes known as Rabbi Shaul, known to most Christians as the Apostle Paul. So we have a lot of fun things planned for the summer. This is the first time we're going to get together, and we're glad to have all you guys here with us either live on the Facebook page or on YouTube or, you know, here in the, uh, the online StreamYard community. StreamYard is an awesome tool. If you're doing anything with large groups of people, you Mm -hmm. definitely want to check it out. It really helps you just to get things done. And they are not sponsoring me at all, although I'm hoping they will so I can get all my StreamYard tools for free. So what to expect for this summer? So we're going to be doing Sunday seminars. uh, Sundays at 6.30 p.m. We're going to try and do it for about 10 weeks. Uh, there's the live StreamYard classroom. We still have a few spots open if you want to try and get in where you can actually, I can actually see you on screen. We can interact together with some of the discussion questions. We can get you on the live feed. It'll be pretty cool. Um, if you can't be on the live environment with the StreamYard, because, again, we have limited spots for that, uh, please follow along on our Facebook page and our YouTube page where you can be a part of all the fun. And if you're like, Jimmy, oh, no, I can't do it Sunday at 630 because I have, I have to do these other things. I have to work. I have to do something else. It's cool because it's going to be recorded. So it's going to be on our Facebook page for Life to the Full Message for Christians uh, and on our YouTube channel. So you can watch it whenever, whenever, you know, whenever you can. That way you can follow along with everything that we're going to be doing. So the Sundays are going to be a mix of presentations and discussions So please come prepared to listen and to talk. So we're going to get some time. It's not going to just be all me. Uh, I want to hear from you guys. I want to hear what's going on with you. What are you thinking as we go through some of this material? Um, And yeah, we're also going to release the audio as a podcast. So that should be a lot of fun. So the way the week's going to go, today is going to be an intro course. Today is like week zero. That's the way I think of it. And the title of this is Deeper Wells, an invitation to being a lifelong learner. This is the first time we're doing anything like this. And I just want to encourage you guys to go on this journey with me of being a lifelong student of the Bible, uh, being a lifelong student uh, of the Word, and just really getting into it. Then weeks two and three, we're going to do some intro material to Paul. Uh, We're going to look at who Paul is, who this Rabbi Sheol guy is, what's going on with him, what's some of the background information that we need to know uh, to be able to get into this. Uh, So we're going to be doing at least one week, maybe a week and a half of an intro to Paul. So that's all weeks two and three. And then we're going to do one week each of each of the chapters of Ephesians. So we're going to be doing a deep dive into the letter of Ephesians. And uh, that's strategic, as we'll see in a little bit. Uh, Ephesians was chosen on purpose. Uh, It's a great way just to get a vast overview of Paul's thoughts, Paul's thinking, and the way he looks at uh, the Hebrew scriptures. And we're going to be doing some summer reading. So the summer reading is optional. No one's going to be checking to make sure you did your reading. Uh, so it's encouraged. I'm going to be doing it as well. I'm going, to have, I'm going to try and have some time each Sunday so we can talk about what we're reading. It's going to be an N.T. Wright summer. So if you haven't heard about N.T. Wright yet, you're welcome. I know many of the people on StreamYard with me have heard of N.T. Wright. I know many of them have read many of his books, Uh, but when you're talking about Paul, there's really no one better for everybody than N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a rare breed. He is a great biblical scholar, and he's also a really good writer. Those don't usually come together. Uh, He's easy to read at all levels, no matter where you are, and even if you've been a biblical scholar for many, many years, you know, or if this is something you just study on your own for a long time, you'll get a lot out of any N.T. NT right book. So we're going to be reading uh, two. Uh, one is Paul, a biography, and that's kind of his seminal work on Paul. Um, it's a fairly easy read. There will be some bigger reading chunks that we're going to try and get in with that. Uh, that is an awesome book. It's going to give you it's basically an overview of Paul, his life, and where N.T. Wright thinks he wrote all of his letters. And the second book we're going to read is How God Became King, The Forgotten Story of the Gospels. And that is just a fantastic book. Uh, A lot of times Paul has loomed so large in the mind of many Christians and in the mind of many theologians. You go to any given Sunday service, you're most likely going to hear at least three or four verses of Paul preach, right? You're not usually going to, maybe you're going to hear a parable of Jesus. You're not really going to hear the whole story of the gospel preached usually. Uh, Every now and then someone will dip into the Old Testament. Maybe they'll pull something out here or there. But by and large, uh, Paul kind of dominates modern Western Christian thought. And how God became king by N.T. Wright kind of flips that and puts the gospels uh, really back into the center of what we should be thinking uh, about as Christians, especially when we read the Bible. And the third book is Paul for Everyone. It's part of N.T. Wright's Paul for Everyone series. Uh, and it's called The Prison Letters. So it's basically a paragraph by paragraph commentary that he wrote, I think maybe two decades ago, about the prison letters. Uh, we're not going to be reading that one in full, but it's it's a great accessible commentary to have that you can kind of go through, uh, you know, what we're going to be doing together in Ephesians uh, and really for the prison letters in themselves. So it's going to be really, really great to kind of, even once we do this together during the summer, you guys can go away and you can have some tools because it's always good to have a commentary with you uh, as you go through some of the stuff on your own. Uh, And so we're going to try and do some readings assigned by week to kind of let you know, okay, this is what you should be tracking with. So if you haven't gotten your books already, Uh, it would be a good time to get them either today or tomorrow if the reading is something that you're going to want to do with us. And for my audiobook fans out there, I just want to say listening to a book is still reading. So if you want to listen to audio, that's perfectly fine. I listened to both books before I even had a physical copy. Um, Paula Biography I listened to, and I was like, wow, I got to get this book. I didn't get even a physical book. I just borrowed it from the library just because I wanted to have it for a little bit and how God became king. I listened to that first and I was like, man, I really have have to have this book. I have to mark it up. So I I got that book as well. But if you love the audio space, please stay there. (laughs) Listen to audio. I know a lot of people come from different places, might have busy lives. You're like, you know what? I only have my commute. That's when I I do my reading. Please go for that. If you want to stay current with our reading assignments. And we're also gonna be doing something called scripture journaling. So if Patty is able, to, when Patty's able to get my slides up, I'll show you guys a picture of this. Uh, but so ESV or Crossway, Crossway publishes the English Standard Version. They kind of led the way in this with what's called scripture journals for single books. So they take single books of the Bible and they turn them into a scripture journal. So for every page of scripture, you get an additional page for notes. And the way they've set up the text is they set it up very literary style. So if you go to, you find Bible over here, if you go to a regular Bible, the pages are usually very, very thin. It's hard to make notes in. Uh, So this one is is made to set up with notes. And it looks like I see uh, my slide deck about to appear. Uh, It's very easy to make notes in the margins. You have an extra page just to write your observations and things that are going on. And that's an example right there of the scripture journal that we're going to be looking at. It's really, really cool. Um, so it's single books of the Bible. Def- definitely encourage all of you guys to get it. We're not really going to use it until we get to Ephesians, but it is good uh, something to have. They're very cheap, which is kind of cool for single books. It's like five or $6. $6. You can get uh, either an illuminated version, which is kind of like more decorative with the front, or you can get just a single black version, which, you know, maybe is more tough. Maybe you like just the black. I kind of like the black better uh, than the illuminated one. The illuminated one, I almost feel like it's too pretty. My handwriting is too bad. Like I'm going to mess it up. So I kind of like the black with the white pages, Uh, but you have some options. So the scripture journal will really help because we really want to get into the word and we want to mark up the word and we want to treat it like the literary work of genius that it really, really is. And when you have those Bibles with kind of like rice paper looking pages that, you know, easily ripped, it's hard to write into them. Uh, this is something that you're going to want to get. So I will put up a link uh, for a shopping list if uh, that's if you need help getting these things or if you want some reflections on it. I can put it up in uh my Facebook page, and I can also put it up on a YouTube channel so you guys have all that ready. Okay. So we're going to just get right in. Patty, is there any way you can go to slide number nine? All right. So today's introductory seminar, today we're going to talk about what it means to be a lifelong student of the Bible, why that's important, and how do we get started. So I know this is going to be obvious to many, but I, I know to, to many people, it's not so obvious. Uh, so here I have a picture of, I think it's pronounced a C note. It's basically a hole in the ground, right? It's a limestone cavern that in these arid Caribbean islands or in these arid places like in Central America, they fill up with water and people are able to, you know, continue to live there and get nourishment, uh, grow plants from uh, these places where, these deep wells where there's water. Uh, and being a lifelong student of the Bible is the same way. It's like we have these deep wa- waters inside of us, these deep wells. Um, so the Bible obviously did not fall from heaven, right, with leather binding and golden foil directly from God to humanity, right? But sometimes in practice, that's how we treat it. We treat it as this thing that kind of fell from heaven. <clears throat> it's ours now, and uh, that's just what it is. But it's really not even just a single, single book, It really should be treated more like a library. Thinking of it as a library is much, much more appropriate, right? Publishers go through a lot of trouble to get everything into one book, right? Or another word for this is folio. This is my new Oxford annotated Bible, and they even uh, fit in the Apocrypha. So they have some extra books in here. And, uh, you know, it's a fairly big-sized book. Uh, back in the day, we would have called this like a nice telephone size book. I don't know if any of the kids out there remember when we had telephone books, uh, but I sure do. Uh, I remember dropping them on my foot and, uh, you know, saying, ouch, so it's a big book. Uh, but, you know, sometimes they even cram them down even smaller, where it's just like these tiny little prints. So, but they go through a lot of work to get all those books into basically one big book or anthology or collection. So there's pros and cons to this. The pros is you can get an entire Bible into your pocket. You can get on a plane. You can get on a train. You can take a cross-country road trip, and you have your Bible with you there in your pocket. But one of the biggest cons is that it makes it very, very hard to read, right? And many people don't realize, it's not intuitive necessarily, if you're handed a book and everything's together, that these things once had a life on their own. They once had a life... On their own, they're separate books. Somebody brought these things together as a collection, you know? And we all come to the Bible for many different reasons. And those reasons often conflict with each other, themselves, and sometimes even our communities. We're all coming to the Bible for different things, right? Some people's expectation of the Bible going into is that the Bible is perfectly clear, right? I I can just read this. And then I can just do what it says, right? And then you actually try and go and read it. And you're like, whoa, how do I put this thing into practice, right? Some people go to the Bible thinking that they're going to find all the answers that they ever needed in these pages, right? Okay, so how am I supposed to do my taxes properly? How am I supposed to be a better husband, be a better wife? How am I supposed to be better at my job, right? And we go to the Bible and we try and live like that and that's the expectation that some people have uh, and a lot of times when people actually go in and they read the Bible right so I was first taught about the Bible about you know how the Bible is gonna save people from hell and get people into heaven and then I went in and actually read it and I didn't I didn't see a lot of hell in it <laughs> I was like where, where is the hell and uh, I didn't really see the going to heaven part I thought Jesus coming here and so it was a little confusing Uh, And for a lot of people like me, this can lead to a crisis in faith, you know, it could be a crisis in faith of like, okay, the Bible is saying one thing, my tradition has taught me something else, or the Bible isn't as clear as I was taught, or I was led to believe. And this can lead to a little bit of a crisis in faith. And unfortunately, most churches, they kind of like to focus on that devotional reading of the Bible not, not enough, nothing necessarily wrong with that, right? They're focusing on lots and lots of people. So they're focusing on the devotional level of teaching the scriptures, and they're not really teaching people how to go deep. And as a result of that, we've kind of raised you know, a lot of very immature uh, and spiritually weak Christians that aren't really sure how to handle the Bible, how to handle the big questions um, and stuff like that. So the life to the full community seeks to change this, right? We want to give people the tools and the community to learn how to engage the scriptures responsibly and over the course of a lifetime. Learning how to deeply read the Bible is not difficult, but that doesn't mean it's easy, right? It takes a lot of bravery to really read the Bible and it takes a lot of humility. You know, it can be dangerous to really read the Bible uh, because when you really read the Bible, A lot of times you walk away with more questions than you had at the beginning. You know, if you are absolutely sure of what the Bible says, do not read it very deeply. (laughs) Because when you read it deeply, uh, that's when you can get in trouble. If you're really, really sure, the Bible will always mess you up. Because what you think is true, when you get in and you look at it, sometimes not so much. You know, Uh, most church traditions, you know, really want to kind of camp on that certainty. They kind of sell the Bible that way. The Bible is the truth. The Bible, and I'm not saying it's not. The Bible is going to tell you how to live your life. The Bible tells you what happens to you when you die, how to raise good children, how to be a good husband. How do I be a good kid if you still have living parents, right? What should I do with my money? Uh, Most churches like to give simple answers to these things, pulling a scripture from here or a scripture there, and then just calling it a day. The Bible doesn't work like that. And I know some of you guys are tracking with me, those of you who have done some deep work already. We're going to do some deep work this summer, right? And to all of our questions, it tends to throw a hand grenade and demand of us more questions. Uh, Patty, can you throw up slide number 10? It's almost like whoever put together the Bible has a sense of humor. This, this is one of my favorite things, just showing how we go to the Bible sometimes for our solutions And we get left left with a bunch of questions. So in the Christian Bible, we have it arranged this way. You you might not be able to see it. Not sure how big it is on your screen. We have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Songs, or the Song of Solomon. So Proverbs seems to profess that if we just live wisely, it would lead to being blessed, living long lives, full of joy and prosperity. And that's kind of the book of Proverbs, right? Here are some wise sayings. If you just do these things, you'll, you'll live. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. Very, it seems very concise. I got this. I'm good. And then you finish Proverbs, and you turn the page, and you get to Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes kind of counterproposes that being wise is no better than being foolish. And that time and chance happen to everyone. It's kind of a commentary almost on the book of Proverbs, like asking the question, why is it even better to be righteous? And I'm oversimplifying here, of course. But when you kind of go through this, you can kind of see that the Bible is in conversation with itself. Then you get to the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, which seems to have Lady Wisdom personified as a young woman desperately searching for her lover. Humanity. And she just can't seem to find him, right? Wisdom can't seem to find us. Wisdom's actively looking for us, and it just can't seem to find us. You know, yeah, it's about, you know, a man and a woman coming together as a husband and wife, that's true. But there's also a deeper level to it where it seems to be talking, it's a wisdom literature, right? It's been classified as wisdom literature for a long time for a reason. And because it's saying a lot of deep things here, using, you know, the relationship between a man and a wife as an allegory to talk about deep spiritual things. So the Bible, like all good wisdom literature, for- forces us to question and to look at ourselves and our communities And to be confronted with the question of how are we supposed to live our lives to push the whole story of the Bible forward, right? To all of our religious scripture verse theology, all the things that we know for certain, right? We tell ourselves, I know this says this for certain, right? You got to think about Job and his friends. Slide 11, when you get a chance. God says, who is this who darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man, and I'll question you, and you shall answer me. So the entire book of Job is basically a commentary on the entire Torah. They spend a whole first part of the book, the majority of the book, kind of arguing about laws, who's righteous, how do we know who's righteous, how do we know how to properly live our lives, how do we know that Job has been cursed by God, and then God shows up. And next slide, if you don't mind, Patty. I think Peter ends completely summarizes the book of Job perfectly at this point. But this is basically a quote from Peter Enns. He says, don't quote the Bible to me, God. God basically shows up while they're having this big debate about the Torah, right? And he says, that's nice. I'm God. I'm going to question you. And in many ways, the Bible does the same thing to us. When we think we have a handle on what's going on and what we're supposed to be doing, the Bible kind of looks back at us and questions us. And that's what I think is really the power of the Bible and the story. Next slide, please, Patty, when you get a chance. I wanna propose a new type of theology. I don't think I'm the person who came up with this, but I can't remember where I got this from. There's an answered-based theology versus a questions-based theology. Uh, I'm part of a coaching community Called and lifted, and this is something that they taught me, and then I'm applying this now to the way I see the Bible and really the way I think the Bible actually works. Answers push. When we think we have all the right answers, right? We push people away. The entire church history, there's thirty thousand plus denominations of Christianity, is all a story of a bunch of people thinking we have the right answers. We're going to divide along these lines, because we don't agree with each other, right? And it pushes the world apart. When we think we know what we know, we're in a dangerous place. There's a Mark Twain quote that I love. It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It what, it's what you know for sure that just ain't so, right? And I think that's so true of the Christian life, and of the way we approach our Bibles. If we're going in because we want to be right, we want to have the right answers, we tend to push things apart. Versus questions. Questions Questions-based theology. It brings people close together. It opens up doors. It invites people to have conversations. It allows us to hold our theology a little less tighter and each other much, much closer. It allows us to enter into story and allow the story of the Bible to push us forward. You know, the Bible t- Bible project talks about that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And Jesus, guess what? Leads to us. How are we pushing that forward? What Jesus came to do, Jesus pushing the Tanakh forward, the Hebrew Bible forward, Tanakh as we'll see in a little bit, into our lives, right? How are we grabbing hold of that and pushing everything forward? So today's invitation Let's learn to read scripture on its own terms and attempt to see past our own biases, past the things that we know that we know. Let's just put them all aside for a second and let's learn to ask questions. And no matter where you are on this journey, maybe you've already started, started to ask some of these deep questions. You know, I know I thought I was on that journey about, you know, a year or so ago, maybe even shorter. And then I realized a lot of the questions that I was asking was just because, you know, like I didn't, I didn't think the same way as my church tradition and I wanted, I wanted to be able to help them. And I was doing a lot of studying to be like, well, how can I help them see that they're wrong? But I was still caught up in answered based theology. So I want us to all look at ourselves critically and be like, where am I in this and where do you want to be? Maybe you like answers based theology. Maybe like, no, man, we have to know the right answer to tell people. And you know, Agree to disagree. Or maybe you're like me, and you're like, you know what, I do want to learn to ask better questions. I do want the Bible to be able to look into my soul and my heart and ask better questions of me. So, and that's where I want to be. And that's where I've kind of turned a corner. And I've been like, you know what, I really want to dive deep into these things. I want to learn to ask better questions, even though, you know, the desire to always be right is there. You know, as uh, the founder of our unlifted community has kind of said, I've kind of taken that desire to always want to be right and I've put it in the back seat and I gave it a juice box and some crayons. Said, okay, okay, just be quiet. It's good. We're going someplace with this. We're learning to ask better questions. All right, Patty, could you throw up slide 14? All right, anyone know what this is? Actually, I think it's kind of hard for you guys to respond. So I'm just going to say it unless someone knows Patty's able to do that. Um, This is not the garbage up in Staten Island. I know some of you guys are wondering that. Is that (laughs) Mount (laughs) Sinai? This is what you call a tell, right? So this is uh, a feature in biblical archeology. span It's really all over the world, but in the middle East, there's these unique conditions that keep these things intact for much, much longer. Right? So basically Patty, if you go to the next one, there's another one. It's a smaller one. Someone's like kind of built a field around it. Let's go to another one. It's a nice big one. Let's go to the next one. So when you start digging into these things, you start noticing layers of civilization, right? So you kind of start at the top. It looks like this nice oddly shaped hill in the Middle East, you know mostly flat and you have like some, some big mountain, uh, mostly flat. You get these like mounds. You start digging the top, you start finding ruins of cities. So what happens, okay, there's always been like a lot of climate change happening in these areas, a lot of social unrest, right? So a city or a town would kind of get started and then maybe the weather would change so they would have to leave, right? Or they'd get attacked and they'd have to leave. Everything got burned down. People would come back and then they would re- rebuild and the same cycle would take place. And so little by little, these layers of civilization should start building up over time. And archaeologists, when they go there, they start at the top and they start, they start tunneling down. And then what ha- ends up happening is that you have these layers of time that are kind of stacked up on top of each other. Patty, you can go to the next slide. So here's a diagram of it cut away, right? You can kind of see the different colors kind of correspond to different, different cities, different layers. So why am I telling you this? Because the Bible is a lot like excavating a tell, right? You can climb to the top of it and you can kind of see the surrounding countryside and you can get a very superficial view of what's going on. Uh, but if you really want to understand what's going on, you have to dig a little deeper, you know, you have to start going into the Bible and you have to start looking deeper. And every time you think you've reached The floor, okay, this has to be the bottom floor. (laughs) Eventually you realize, no, there's about like four or five floors, at least underneath me that are still waiting to be excavated. And how do I know this? Because the Bible is the most studied book in history. We've been at this for thousands of years and we keep finding new things. And I'm not saying it's just, Hey, we learned to do something different with the Bible. Some brilliant person reading the Bible over the course of a lifetime notices something, writes a paper, writes a book. Other people go in there and they figure out this has been here the whole time and someone has put this in deliberately. <laughs> this There's no way this is here by chance. This is there on purpose. And it's something that no one ever thought of. The authors of the Bible were literary Geniuses, and when people talk of dual authorship, this is what I think when I think it was both authored by people and authored by God, because how was this even possible <laughs> it's It's been almost you know over two millennia, two thousand years, people have been looking at this book, and there's there's still new things that we're finding, which is why it's great, you know a lot of times when people ask what what, what kind of commentary should I read? You know, there are great ones that are free online because they're from like a hundred years ago, two hundred years ago. And uh, a lot of times so much has even changed. And those times, it's not like those commentaries were wrong. It's just that there's there's new things that we're doing with them. You know, I remember uh, one year I was on a cruise and I got a free commentary by John Calvin, right? Calvinism, founder of Calvinism, all that stuff. It was so brilliant. It was so well written. I got so much out of it, uh, but there were so many other things, right, that, you know, Calvin just didn't see far enough, you know. It's been said even uh, in the Protestant Reformation, the Reformers, when they started making questions about the Catholic Church and reforming doctrine there, they had huge questions that they couldn't answer, right? They kind of had their soul of Scripture, you know, Scripture alone. They kind of had the idea of, you know, faith, not works, Grace is by faith, not by works. But there were other things that they just didn't know how to tackle yet. And they kind of just left for future generations. They never really thought that people would just stop, you know, which is what we tend to do. We just stop and then we try and do things as long as possible, right? Until the Bible itself kind of gets in the way and starts questioning the way we do things. All right. So that's how the Bible is like a tell. Now we're going to get into some tools. So when excavating a tell, you have to be very, very careful, right? Uh, You you can't just go in, right? If you put me in an archaeological dig, I'd probably get my hard hat on, I'd get my shovel, and I would just start hitting things. And it would probably kick me off the site right away because you have to be careful when you dig too. And going into the Bible is no different. There are some really, really great tools that you can use to kind of go and to do this. And so for an introductory class, Class zero, as I like to call it, before we get into the rest of the weeks. We're going to just meditate on some lessons uh, from one of the best books I've ever read. I actually considered doing a whole class on this book as well. I'm probably going to do it eventually as a book club. So I'll be looking forward to that. Where you know It, it has nothing to do with the Bible, but it's the book that you've always been looking for. Because even though you've been taught how to read not many people have actually been taught how to read, right? We've kind of we've kind of been taught how to scan just the lines. We get the basic information, but even like in school, right? They would give you the highlighters to give you pencils. Okay. Go highlight your book. I don't know what I was doing. If I sometimes I, w- I would highlight entire chapters because I'd be like, Oh, all this stuff is good. You know, there's an actual art and science to how to get the most out of the book. And it really is nothing like Adler's and Mortimer's and Doran, sorry. Uh, Classic Guide to Intelligent Reading. So if you want to do some extra reading this, this summer, I would recommend that book. You don't have to read the whole thing. Private message me if you want to know. I can tell you which ones to read. I've been through it a few times already. All right. So the Bible is very highly fistic- f- sophisticated, excuse me, body of literature. Um, so when we go into it, we have to treat it as such. The first tool that we want to have with us is we want to have a purpose. That seems self-explanatory, right? Of course, I have a purpose when I read my Bible. But think about it. And I've talked about this before in other places. This is also a piece of ancient literature, right? This is the Egyptian Book of the Dead. It's kind of cool. It has, like, hieroglyphics, and it has the translations right below it. I got it when I was, like, 10 or 11. It's a very strange 10 or 11-year-old. But this is an ancient work of literature, not everybody sits down every morning to read the Egyptian Book of the Dead. I'm sure there are some people, call them nerds, they usually live in universities. Uh, but the Bible is the, the book that's sold the most, it's been the most printed book in human history. And a lot of times we forget to ask ourselves when we sit down to it, why am I doing this? What's my purpose in reading the Bible? Uh, most Christians, unfortunately, don't read their Bible. Uh, I think a lot of times, even even uh, I've done this before. I made a goal of reading the Bible in a year, and when I used to do it, I would just like kind of just power through it, not really comprehending uh, what I was reading. Anything I read was basically from the lens that you know my tradition gave me, or what I already thought the Bible was saying. Or you know, often we read it. Without a purpose, you know, we kind of just go into it or sometimes, you know, let's be honest, we don't really read it at all. Maybe we read the letters of Paul. Good thing we're going to get into Paul, read some of the gospel stuff. But there's so much in here that, you know, we don't we don't really read. So what we want to do is we want to try and do a little bit better. So we want to ask ourselves, what do we think the Bible actually is? Right. Some would say maybe the word of God, do all authorship, inerrancy, or something else, you know. So what do we think the Bible is and why do we think studying the Bible is important? So we want to, we want to talk about that real quick. So you guys can unmute yourselves. If you're, you haven't unmuted yourselves already. I just want to have a quick discussion when you come to your Bible study, how do you do it? Like, what do you think the Bible is? And why do you think studying the Bible is important?
2: Well, um, are we going in any order? Jimmy, or just... Dave,
0: uh, yeah, you want to go first? Sure.
2: Um, you know, the Bible to, to me is, is the Word of God. Um, and it's, it's several things. It's, it's, it's what God is trying to tell his people. It's the story of God's people. Uh, it's instructions. It's, uh, it's all these things kind of wrap, wrapped into one. It, the Bible isn't one, one thing uh besides holy. That's that's my answer.
0: Cool. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. no no wrong answers, people. Just want to hear what you're thinking. Go um, for it,
4: Nick. Yeah, that's a great question because I've been trying to figure that one out for the past couple of years. Um I think um one of the things I heard from Richard Roar, you know, his his take was uh, it's the words of God and the words of men. Mm. Um Um, you know, Peter Enns likes to say that God lets his children tell the story. Um, uh, I think, um, I think for me personally, like, and I'm still trying to figure all this out, I I really think it's man's best attempt at trying to figure out life and Mm -hmm. mortality and morality and civilization and truth. And like, it's like this, it's almost this evolution of watching people trying to figure this out as time goes on. And at the same time, I think that, you know, it's the Israelites kind of origin stories that uh, it looks like, you know, either stuff that was passed down orally, uh, a lot of it probably written from the monarchy, and then a lot of it all, you know, are, you know, stitched together and edited Throughout time, and probably really didn't even become the Bible the way that we look at the Bible now until after the exile. So it's almost like it may have even started off as one thing and then became this other thing. And I'm still trying to kind of figure it out, but I feel like for me, what I keep coming back to is. The Bible is, and I do believe that God inspired people because I really feel like there's something in there that is some is people's honesty. There's like a, like, there's really like an honesty, like when you just kind of stop and say, Hey, let me get my ego out of the way right here. And let me get, you know, like when they, people say, like, what, what they think maybe God is saying or God said this, I think like there's just this honesty of like, what do I think is really right and true and good? And, like, if I just kind of, and I think, like, somehow God works through that to kind of say, yes, and what is right and good and true is to love others and to not um, be hurtful and to be generous. Um, And, like, but there's something about it that for me, like, like it it connects with, like, the truth. Mm. Um, And when I really connect with it, like, I go, oh, okay, wow, this speaks to the fact of what I already kind of believe to say, yeah, this is what's right. It's 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 right to forgive people. It's yeah. right to show mercy. You know, it's right to be generous. It's right to give help those who can't help themselves. Um, but I don't think it's this rule book to show me how to get to heaven. And if I obey the rules better, God likes me more or is more pleased with me. Uh, I just realized that, like, I I was able to let that go and just realize, like, I, I actually. Life, I enjoy life better when I'm doing the things that I know are actually right, mm-hmm. and, and there's a different way. My like the world just changes for me, but I don't do it to earn anything. I just do it because in in truth, in the same spirit of truth that I connect to in the scriptures, I kind of go like, yeah, this is really the best way to live, and this is really the right way to live. And I'm Great. still trying to figure out all the details of you know, where a man, you know, stops or inspiration starts or, and all of that. I don't even necessarily know if that's really necessary to know that. I think sometimes it just, my my brain just kind of wonders. But I think like that's actually the whole, when Jesus comes into the scene, I think that's the whole thing. It's like he was human and divine at the same time. And I'm human and divine at the same time. I was made in God's image. I have a piece of the divine in me. And I'm not saying I'm Jesus, but I'm trying to figure out how do I balance that? How do I that the same way Jesus balanced it his way? Because he still had to sleep, he still had to eat, he still had still had to deal with people, he still had to it hurt when people betrayed him. It hurt when people did yeah. and I'm just trying to connect with that. Like, and I think the Bible is kind of this 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 thing of divine and human. And almost like you can't really figure out where, but there's some where the the lines are, but there's something about it that just when you kind of think it's leaning towards one direction, it kind of goes into this other direction. And then just when you really get, go too much in one, another direction, you kind of go like, Oh wait a minute, but there's a lot of humanity in here. And I think that that's kind of what I'm still trying to kind of figure it out. Like, but that's just where I'm at right now. I do think that um, it speaks to truth and honesty um, and, and it's a lot of things, but I do think that it, um, uh, it's, it's hyperlinked and connected in, in this way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it's like so much. So I'm always trying to figure it out. Sometimes I just have to step away from it for a little bit so I Got can not have a lens, um, going in, um, yeah. because it's just so, yeah. So I'm sorry, I don't want a long time, but that's kind of where I'm at right now with it.
0: It's cool, man. No, I appreciate it. It's good to hear, um, you know, cause I hear like, even with you, it's like, you're still trying to figure it out. And I think that's important. That's very brave to say that. I really, you know, I appreciate your vulnerability because I think it, not everyone would be able to stay, say that, you know, even when they're they're at that place where they're still trying to figure out some things. So, so thank you for that. Andre, did you have anything you wanted to say real quick?
3: Um, I feel like, uh, I guess like the only thing I say is it feels like it's sort of, I mean, I guess I kind of like the idea of something about like God and like people like working together mm-hmm. to kind of to kind of you know like you know it's like maybe it's kind of like these people are telling like the story from like their like sort of like perspective, you know, and it's like you know like God is there, you know, like how everything connects together and stuff it's like god is there but yep. still acknowledging the fact that you know people are trying to do the best that they can do mm. to like understand god you know so i would think i would say that and probably the human aspect of like yep. you know like how to be a human being like you know uh yeah like how to be or the way to be, you know, like it's a, I think it came from like a Rob Bell book, I think, but like it's mm. showing, kind of like showing us like how to be human, <laughs> humans, sure. you know, like what is, what does it mean to be a human being? I think it makes it more relatable to mm. you, I think, um, when you can see it from the perspective of this is what it's like to be, you know, human. Um, mm-hmm. So... Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I like it. Thanks a lot, Andre. Um, you know, some of you guys know, cause you know, I talked to a lot of you guys on a regular, I just started a, um, a seminary program and I just took a class on the book of Ezekiel and Ezekiel comes at the end of, you know, the second part of the Tanakh, right. Uh, the end of the prophets. And it, it's really cool because, you know, God keeps referring to Ezekiel as the son of man. Like basically like you're, you're a human, like, Listen, you human, <laughs> when God's talking to Ezekiel, which is kind of cool. And uh, I like the way a lot of times Ezekiel goes back at God, like God tells him to do one thing. And Ezekiel's like, God, I can't do that. <laughs> and, you know, like, like when God wanted Ezekiel to make that bread, and he, at first he wanted it to be cooked over human excrement, human dung. And, you know, Ezekiel's like, I can't do that, God. I'm a priest. I would be impure. And so God was like, all right, fine. You can do it over animal dung. And then, you know, even like when Ezekiel is upset with God, because he feels like God is going to kill uh, the promised remnant, and, you know, God reassures Ezekiel, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, so, you know, I really, I really like that idea of the Bible coming out of an interaction somehow between humankind and the divine God, and through that interaction, things were written down, and that's kind of like what the Bible that we've gotten today uh, but since we're in a class about paul we're going to talk about what paul thought right and so this would be familiar from for anyone like you know in the icoc or the icc like the word study you know in second timothy 315 it says and that from childhood this is paul speaking to timothy you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in christ jesus so the sacred writings are the Scriptures. Right? It's, it's not the New Testament because the New Testament hasn't been written yet. Right. Paul's writings are the earliest Christian writings that we have. Uh, so he's talking about the Hebrew Bible. Another word for that is the Tanakh, right? Uh, which which we may or may not talk about later, depending on if we have time. Uh, so he's talking about these sacred r- writings are basically wisdom literature. And wisdom literature behaves a lot differently than like a manual or like a how-to guide or a guidebook or, you know, even a collection of Proverbs, right? Wisdom literature, it's it's supposed to make you think. It's supposed to challenge you, you know, and it, it says here that it makes you wise for salvation. That's going to take some unpacking later. Uh, we're going to get a great chance to look at, at word salvation, you know, what Paul was talking about there when we get into Ephesians. We're going to have a great opportunity for that. Um, but the sacred writings does not mean the Bible as we have it, right. It means the old Testament. And so Paul that was enough for him to know how to be wise and for him to attain salvation, which, you know, seems to be the point of everything he was doing. So I just, you know, I find that interesting that, you know, a lot of times when we go for wisdom, we kind of just go to the new Testament. We'll go to, okay, you know, Maybe a parable of Jesus, because it seems like Jesus was, was telling a lot of like moral stories there. Or we go to some of those quotable lines from Paul. Don't do this, do that. And we're like, okay, I got this. Where in Paul's mind, you know, if if all you had was the old testament, you'd be okay. Now, obviously, you know, I read the New Testament too. I think the New Testament's great. I think it's connected to the Old Testament as well, but just kind of wanted to point that out here as we go through to Paul. This is all wisdom literature and it should be treated as, as such. Uh, number two is major arguments matter more than details. So there are major thought lines that weaves themselves throughout the entire story of Scripture, including Paul, as we'll see. Uh, Paul's a genius. So when Paul even says like one sentence, he kind of usually assumes, you know, everything else <laughs> that came before and that you're also very educated and you know, you know, some Greek philosophy and you're your late, you're latest with all the Greek Greco-Roman education that they, they had at the time as well. Paul was a genius, right? Uh, so there are major thought lines that weave themselves through scripture. These have intentionally been put there by whoever organized and edited this material together. Okay. These major arguments, a lot of times are much more important than the minor details. But unfortunately, a lot of times what we can do going to scriptures is we can major in the minors, Right? And this can lead to a lot of misunderstandings of what the biblical texts are and what they are trying to communicate. So I'm gonna give some examples of majoring in the minors, right? So we have what's commonly called scripture verse theology, right? Going to the Bible and taking bits and pieces of scripture to create a theolo- theology of something out of all of these verses, right? Uh, takes scripture and verses and range and then it creates a seemingly logical argument so if someone, if you're kind of following along with someone, and they're like, well, First Timothy this, First uh, Corinthians this, and you kind of go through, you can kind of see, you can know, oh, I can follow that logic because you've you've arranged it that way. Um, some things that people try and answer with scripture verse file, scripture verse theology is how do I be saved? What is salvation? Uh, baptism, brings Jesus you in your heart, heaven and hell, all that fun stuff. Uh, proof texting, uh, using scripture. Verses as text to prove or back up your theological point of view. Uh, for instance, the scripture we just used before, 2 Timothy 3.15, right? When Paul says the Holy Scriptures is usually sometimes stitched together with 2 Peter 3.16, uh, where, you know, Paul says, sorry, Peter says that Paul writes the same way in all of his letters. And some, so I'll just read the whole thing for you guys. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in, in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destructions. So they take a separate letter, you know, they kind of stitch that together and they go, obviously Peter here thinks Paul's writings are scripture. So therefore Paul's writings are also scripture. Uh, and, you know, maybe, but these are two different letters written at two different times. We don't even know what writings Peter was referring to. We could assume that we have them but we don't necessarily really know. We don't know what things he was referring to. We knew that we know that Paul to the scriptures was the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible. Peter kind of says, Paul's writings were scriptures. Therefore for all of Paul's writings of scripture or all the new Testament scripture, therefore I can ignore the Tanakh because I have the new Testament, which I find much easier to deal with. Now I kind of say that, you know, I know no one would actually probably say that out loud. I disregard all of the Old Testament, but I think if you ask yourself, okay, how I am, how am I as a reader? I think a lot of times you'll find, I know I did when I when I examined myself as a reader, I kind of ignored the 80% of the Bible that came before my New Testament. And you know, I was very compelled by Jesus. I was very compelled by the gospel. I still am, you know, I still I still love the New Testament, but I largely ignored. Uh, all of that. And when Jesus said, don't you know, everything in the scriptures ri- was written about me. And when I went in there and tried to find Jesus, I had a lot of trouble finding him right away. Uh, but Paul is all about that. <laughs> Paul is all about finding Jesus in the scriptures, as as we'll see as we get into uh, the letter of Paul that he wrote to the Ephesians. Uh, systematic theology uh, is basically a, a fancy term um, that I know probably not many people use in common speech, but I like it. it. It basically says we're attempting to answer questions of the text that the text is not trying to answer. For instance, we have a text that was speaking to a certain place, certain time. This, this applies for both the Old and New Testament. Um, it doesn't explicitly say, give me an answer, but I'm going to try and apply those scriptures to answer a question that uh, the Bible is not trying to answer. An example of that would be like original sin, the Trinity, what happens when I die? Are speaking four-letter words sinful? Uh, can I live with my girlfriend before marriage? Uh, things that, you know, marriage as it exists today didn't really exist, like, you know, for, for very long. You know, there was either either it was an arranged marriage or it was between families or it wasn't necessarily the same way that it was today. Uh, so, yeah. And basically, it's an attempt at practical theology. You know, how can I how can I read the Bible and then just walk away from it and know, know what to do uh, versus biblical theology and biblical theology is like my new best friend. Um, it's basically asking the questions uh, that the, trying to search out the questions, the Bible itself is asking and is attempting to answer. So that's what we, that's what we mean when we look for the major thought lines, the major lines of thought that are going through the, the entire scriptures or the entire text. So we're looking for those big concept, those big things that, you know, the authors of the Bible were really trying to answer. And so that's kind of my case for biblical theology. That's kind of what we're going to be trying to do. Yeah. You know, as we go through this. So I have another question. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys, see what you think. So not to be exhaustive, uh, but just kind of just give me a little snippet. So, if you were going to say, okay, what's one major thing of the Bible that's kind of, it's there in the beginning, it's there at the end, the Bible is attempting to answer this globally, what do you think one of those things would be? I think, I feel like we kind of touched on it a little bit before. Anyone have any thoughts?
4: I, mean, I think the, the coming together of heaven and earth, I think is,
0: mm-hmm.
4: is something that's there. Um you know, basically from the beginning to the end. Yep. Um, So that's one thing. Uh, Even just, um, you know, the whole garden, you know, representing this God space, you you see it really early and then you kind of see it all at the end in Revelation. So it's all, that's one thing. I'm just going to stop there.
0: That's great. Yeah, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. At last chapter of Revelation, heaven's coming down to earth, right? The city. So it's nice unity there. Anyone else have any thoughts?
3: Um, I would say that the the, the kind of like uh, in some sort of way, like I feel like there's like this theme about like um, like love, like just mm-hmm. kind of just kind of like if you wanted to sum up everything, the point would be like love, you know, nice. Like, not, like, basically, like, just tell me all the things what to do, you know, like, but it's not about, I think it's more about, like, the wisdom of, like, you know, just how to, just how to love people. And then it's like, okay, like, well, what does that look like, you know, instead of, like, it coming straight out and telling you, like, what to do more so, like, okay, like, what does this look like in our situation, like, here and now, you know, kind of thing.
0: That's great.
2: Yeah, I'm gonna have to echo what Andre said there. Um uh, mm-hmm. the the overriding theme, I think, in, in the all the entire Bible is is love. And uh and you know, love the got the love that God has for us, the love that we have that we're supposed to have for God, and uh the love that we're supposed to have for each other. So That's great.
0: Yeah, all good stuff guys, all good stuff. So yeah, it's looking for those big concepts. And, uh, you know, as we go into to Paul and Ephesians, there's definitely some big concepts there that, you know, Paul is, is tuning into, um, you know, that we're going to try and pay attention as we go through it. Cause a lot of times what, what we can do, I know I did this, um, as well. And sometimes, you know, I, I still, I still miss it, even though I, I'm more aware now of my biases is I read something and I, I kind of just fill in the missing information. So if Paul is talking about, about something, I kind of just supply my own answer instead of taking an extra time to think through, okay, but what does he actually mean here in this context? So the third thing we want to do is we want to use multiple modes and fully engage the text. So there is this concept of passive reading versus active reading. So passive reading is kind of just, like just giving it a superficial once-over, Right. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, you know, we haven't been taught or, you know, we don't have that desire to go any deeper. And so, what we're going to be practicing in our Summer of Scripture or our Summer of Saul uh, is really doing some active reading. So, we want to fully engage with the text. So, what does that mean? It means writing, okay? Marking up a text, highlighting, not highlighting everything, highlighting major points. Uh, in the biblical literature, we also we always want to look for repeating words and phrases uh right taking notes other things called marginalia i love marginalia i don't know if you guys love that but i love seeing famous authors like the way they mark up texts it's like it's like a thing of beauty uh like when uh kubrick who directed the shining when he marked up stephen king's original uh novel that he he later turned into a movie it's just like it's an amazing read i think you can look up look up some of that stuff online if you want to so you want to, that's why the scripture journal is really going to be a big help for us. So if you guys want to get that, if you don't want to get that, I would recommend just, you know, taking some time printing out the book of Ephesians on some regular paper. Uh, and then you can, you can do that. And I think Patty put a list to, um, I made a, some Amazon links for you guys in case you guys need help finding this stuff. So that's there, I believe in the comments. Uh, Talking, I think having discussions like we're doing today and like we're hoping to facilitate uh, over the summer is a way of just really actively engaging the text. Uh, Speaking, I think looking for opportunities to speak. I always try and once I've kind of learned something or spent time doing stuff, I always try and arrange opportunities like this where I get a chance to speak uh, to people. Just creating a talk, uh, you know, is, is a great way of kind of engaging the text even deeper. And then teaching, because teaching is really cool because you get a chance to also arrange a talk. You get a different look at the material. You get to arrange it, and then you know you also get an opportunity to have discussions with people, and so you kind of get the best of both worlds. And then visualizing, uh, drawing, looking at archaeology, taking trips, uh, sketching and drawing, uh, preparing content. Uh, I was I was recently in a class over the summer on Ezekiel, and the professor like was doing like a whole bunch of stick figures. And it kind of changed my perspective of the entire Bible just by looking at these stick figures. Cause it was like, Oh, okay. I see it now, you know, and and some of these things I won't, I won't bore you with the details of that, but it was, it was fascinating. Um, Number four, take time to process, slow down. I think Nick said something about this earlier. Uh, Sometimes you just need to walk away from the text without an immediate answer. I just need to walk away. I need some time to process. Uh, processing a text takes time. We'll be spending a summer on just a single letter of Paul, right? And Ephesians, again, was chosen strategically because, you know, N.T. Wright writes about this actually in Paul for Everyone. Uh, Ephesians isn't the longest or fullest of Paul's writings. You want to go to Romans or Corinthians or something like that, but it offers a breathtaking view of the entire landscape. So the entire Paul thinking is kind of summarized in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Common misconceptions with Paul, I was actually talking about this uh, in the last interview we did, uh, me and Patty with Lisa Johnson. Uh, a lot of times we confuse Paul. We think Paul is trying to teach us on what to do, right? Because Paul seems very much like do this, or don't do that. But when you really get into to read what Paul's doing, Paul is really teaching his original audience how to think, right? Because his audience was both Jewish and Roman. So in some ways, Paul is assuming that at least half of his audience is tracking with the rest of the Hebrew Bible that Paul has in his head, and that they're able to fill in those details. All right. So they're tracking with what, he, what he's saying. And the other half of his audience, you know, if they're Roman citizens, they most likely have been trained in rhetoric, which is the particular type of way Paul kind of constructs his arguments. So there, there was a logical flow to his argumentation that his, his Greek readers would have gotten a lot out of and kind of together they could kind of, you know, really get a fuller understanding by working some of this stuff out together. And the letters, obviously, you know, it's not like everyone got their own copy and they went home and they had some tea, right? They probably, someone probably read it, they heard it multiple times, and then they probably discussed it and they walked away and they discussed it, they thought about it, they slept on it and all that stuff. So, you know, as we go through Paul, Uh, We want to keep his original audience in mind, and we'll get more into that when we kind of do our intro to Paul about some of the ways that might have worked and how that can kind of change uh, our understanding of certain things. Um, So quickly, let's have a few statements from you guys. So how does understanding Paul's original audience and assumptions change, change the way we should approach Paul? So when we're thinking about Paul, uh, this does it change anything for you. Maybe it doesn't just, I'm just curious.
2: Um, I have a, so when, when my kids, uh, were, were younger and they went to go mess with the stove, um, yeah. I, I said to them, don't touch the stove. Right. And when I said that I didn't mean for them to never touch the stone when they grew up, the stove when they grew up and figured out how to cook, et cetera. And I didn't mean that nobody should ever touch the stove. Uh, obviously, we need to cook and, and whatever. But I meant it for them in that specific time and in, in that moment. Uh, so sometimes when when if you, if you read the Bible and it's directing a group of people to do something, uh, it was really just for them because of right. their situation or their circumstance. And it doesn't necessarily mean that no one was ever to do that. that thing. Does that, so, that make uh, kind of a long trip around the park to get there?
0: No, that's a good point. I mean, people have pointed out, like for instance, uh, you know, Paul doesn't give instructions about speaking in tongues in every one of his letters really just in Corinthians. So there's, there's the theory that that might've not been what was happening everywhere because he didn't give instructions to everybody. Uh, on all this stuff. So I think depending on the audience, you get different things. And I think that's what you're saying, right? And some things that are told, they're, they're for a time, they're for a reason and a season, not necessarily forever. Is that accurate? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Anyone else? Go for it, Nick. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um,
4: just even understanding the Old Testament and Second Temple Judaism. Yep. Um, makes such a difference in Hellenism, and then everything going on politically, uh, and then the Roman Empire, and then everything from Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots, just all the people. And then you get to this message of Jesus, and then seeing how um, it was about all nations. And when you start to really see how um, the Jewish people had such a hard time letting the Gentiles in as equals, and understanding um, that from the perspective of Jews being in a land that was overtaken by Gentiles and being treated as second-class citizens. I mean, you know, when Paul's about to get flogged, he kind of goes, hey, is it legal to, to beat a Roman citizen without a trial? And the implication is, well, you can beat a Jew without a trial. And now all of a sudden in this new kingdom that God is bringing, the Jewish Messiah, is letting those same people be equals, and and it, it creates this whole problem. So, like, and to the point where, you know, there's Jewish purity laws, and they're not even supposed. in Peter, Acts ten, he's like, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. You know that, right? Like, and and then when you look at Galatians, like they're not eating together. Peter walk, Peter walks away. It's almost like, wow, there was the, the, the there's there could be two communion tables. In the church, a communion table for Gentiles and a communion table for Jews. Could you imagine, in, you know, and when you start to think about the implications of this, you start to realize like, oh, this thing is, it's, it's this different conversation. It's, it's about becoming one humanity, not about this whole, how do I get to heaven when I die? And how do I, how do I define who's lost so I know who I can go and try and save? It's really about right. this different. And when, when you start to understand all of that stuff going around, it it changes the way that you read Paul because he's addressing serious issues and then all of a sudden you realize Romans is about several different groups in the church that aren't communicating with one another and aren't one, you know. So he's trying to bring this message of Jesus in John 17 about being one. Well it's easy to be it's easy to be united with everyone that agrees with you. Yep. Um so he's trying to say, look, as we have to figure out how to be united in, with our differences. So it changes everything, um, you know, and going back to what Dave said, you know, be, and when you see that, then you start reading the letters differently. And you also got to remember, like, you know, many people have said it, you know, you're only hearing one side of a conversation. Yep. Um, so you don't, you don't, you don't always, we have to sometimes try and figure out or use our best guesses, but it, it does leave a lot of unanswered questions which is really it's good because it you know like we don't have to be so certain about everything we can actually let it breathe and marinate and, and you know, what was going on what might have been going on and how does this really play into now and you know so like yeah so i think it, it totally changes the way that i, I look at paul's letters yep. um when i think of whose audience was what was going on culturally what was going on uh there's so many different things yeah so that's it
0: yeah. It, it's so true. And, uh, you know, I was actually speaking to this with someone else recently too. I don't remember when I think it was on one of the podcast interviews we just recently did where it's ironic that so much of Paul's verses have been used to divide churches into theological camps. Well, the Bible, Bible clearly says, boom, boom, boom. And then someone else over here goes, well, no, 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 no. The Bible says clearly, boom, 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 boom. Sometimes the same verses arrange different ways. But when you actually get in, you read an entire letter of Paul. Basically, every single thing this man ever wrote is about bringing the body of Christ together. (laughs) It's about no, no, no. There's no slave. There's no free. There's no Gentile. There's no Jew. Right? There's no male. There's no female. There's only one in Christ. Yeah. You know, and it's it to me, it's like the man is all about unity. If he came today, you know, in a time machine, in a Delorean, or like you know, Bill and Ted's uh, phone book, and he, he showed up. I think he'd be, he'd be scandalized about how his mail, first of all, he'd be like, why do you guys have my mail? And second of all, he'd be like, why are you using my words to, di- to divide people that you're missing the point? If he had a Twitter, I think he, he would not be shutting up about it. He'd be like, you know, like he'd be, he'd be doing fire every day with his tweets to kind of like bring us to our senses. Um, but let's move on. So number five, is focus on high-value content, so table of contents. Um, it's really cool if you get yourself a good study Bible. Every book basically has one where it kind of just lists out in, in summary form uh, all the main points you're supposed to get out of what, what you're reading. Another high-value content is basically the shape of the Hebrew Bible as it was originally, originally intended. So I'm a big uh, proponent that I think, Christians should go back to reading the Hebrew Bible in its original order. Um, I want to start a hashtag, hashtag Tanakh revolution. Maybe we can get it to catch on. I think, you know, um, if, if more of us want it, publishers will start, you know, at least giving the option for us to get the Bible in um, its original order. You know, you can move around and you can you can also figure it out on your own. Um, But just to even point out that between Genesis and 2 Kings, there's basically one long, uninterrupted narrative. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you go right into the latter prophets, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and they're referencing things out of 2 Kings. So especially when you get to Ezekiel, and he referenced his first little blurb in the beginning, references like the end of Kings. Ezekiel is, is thinking that you have the entire thing in your head. You know, Chronicles is way at the end in the writings, because Chronicles is more of like a reflection back, an idealized version of the days of the monarchy. Um, but yeah, understanding the shape of the Tanakh, hashtag Tanakh revolution, let's make it a thing. Um, you know, and, you know, reading reading things in its proper order, right, I think can really help us help us understand a story better. A good commentary is good as well. Uh, mostly for reference, you know, commentaries aren't really made to be read straight through unless you're a special type of person and you like that. Uh, I would always stay away from older ones. I would, I would try and stay to one that was more current. Uh, number six, read everything more than once in different translations. I think for this group that goes about saying, so my biblical reading plan is basically to read the whole thing reread it, reread it again, repeat, and then one day I'm going to die. And that's kind of like my plan (laughs) that I have uh, for the Bible. But in all seriousness, I try and read the Hebrew Bible at least once a year in the original order. And, you know, once a season, because it's shorter, I try and go through the entire New Testament. I think it's important just to get more scripture into us so that we can uh, kind of understand. And then you you, you notice different things. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. like I... When, uh, when the 70 people from different nations were baptized in the book of Acts, I just thought it was like a cool number until I realized, you know, it's calling back to the table of nations in Genesis one through 11. And it's reversing the curse of the tower of Babel because the languages were once confused. And that kind of kicked off like, you know, this terrible, sorry story of humanity. And in Jesus on the day of Pentecost, in the day of Pentecost, the coming of the Holy spirit, that curse was reversed and there was, People from 70 nations. Is that a coincidence? Probably not. Uh, were there actually 70 people there? Maybe, but I think the real, m- more important thing is the whole story that the Bible is trying to construct for us. I
4: had a question for you. Sure. Do you have any recommendations on um, on like a, like a good Septuagint resource? Because sometimes I feel like I'd like to kind of have a clue like what Bible basically... Jesus and Paul might have been reading to some sometimes, right? You know what I mean? Because sometimes there'll be things in the New Testament that, because it's written in Greek, will almost be word for word or very close to the Septuagint. But if you don't see the commonality sometimes in the Hebrew scriptures, and I yeah. just want to add that as another resource. Do you have any suggestions for that?
0: Um, I don't, but you know, one thing that is interesting about what you're saying is that it, it does seem that Jesus and the apostles. They knew of the Septuagint and they also knew of the the Bible in Hebrew, which I right. think is is kind of cool because, especially considering the way that they were able to use it, they basically memorized both. Yeah, you know, they, they carried around in their head both the Greek version and the Hebrew version, and and some people even think there might have been an Aramaic version that we don't we don't have anymore, uh, or maybe we have pieces of. I'm not super super current on that, but I don't have. A good research. I think if you just grab any Septuagint, like, I think, I think you'll be good. Are you looking for, or like something, some, like a commentary on it or.
4: Uh, I'm, I'm looking at um, maybe like a resource where I can just kind of go. And then like, then I can look at the, 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 the original Greek word and kind of say, oh, yeah. wait, lines up word for word in this new Testament rather than, you know, cause sometimes when you're looking, you're, you're looking at a Hebrew word versus a new Testament word in Greek. Right. You know, like maybe the word spirit is a little bit different, you know, you know, oh, um, I see. you know what I mean? So like, yeah, just, just looking for some of that stuff, because I think sometimes they do quote from the Septuagint and other times they do quote from the Hebrew, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I think uh, the Blue Letter Bible is good on that.
4: Do they do it in a Septuagint or just a, cause I thought I only found a Hebrew on that. That's why I'm asking. But I don't want to. I'm sorry. Yeah,
0: no, I, th- I think they do. And then, okay. yeah, but we we can talk offline on that. That's a really good, I'd be interested too, if you find anything out. (laughs) That sounds awesome. All right. So public reading of scriptures. So that's something I think we've lost. Like in first Timothy 4.13, I think Paul read, he actually meant it. Devote yourself to public reading of scripture, you know, and then he says to preaching and to teaching. And I think sometimes at least in in my tradition, we're like, oh yeah, there's public reading of scriptures like surrounded by my sermon. But the Hebrew Bible has a long tradition of just reading big blocks of scripture when people got together. Actually, tra- not traditional churches, but higher churches like Catholicism or Lutherism, they do a much better job of just reading large chunks of scripture because they have something called liturgical readings. So they go through different liturgical years and over a course of a year or two, they get to, to read the whole thing. Number seven, and then we're finishing up here, is know your, know your author. Uh, this is both easier and harder than you think. Um, you know, just try and figure out who your author is with the Bible. You know, the question I always kind of like to ask is, well, did Moses really write the Torah? Probably not, you know, and that, that's okay. And for some people that, that might be a point where, okay, now we, we walk away from each other. We agree to disagree because you know, Paul is obviously not Paul, sorry. Moses is obviously the author of the first five books of Moses. There's a lot of internal clues. That's not the case. This It seems to be referencing a lot of the exile, you know, like even like uh, Joseph telling his family that God saved you as the remnant. That's kind of exilic language that the later prophets would use uh, all that stuff. So just understanding the Bible is probably written more around the time of the ex- Babylonian exile, uh, either immediately after the exile, kind of like straddling those periods and what that does to, to what we're reading. Uh, but in Paul, Paul is a unique author in the sense that, you know, he was a Jewish rabbi and in one sense he was very Essene-like, like he really studied the scriptures and he took them very seriously. Another way is he was like a zealot, right? He was willing to go out and like do all these, these things that we would consider crazy today. Uh, some people have even called him a terrorist. He was definitely not a terrorist. He was much more what he was doing kind of fit like the social, cultural, political thing that was happening in the first century. Greco-Roman education, right? Almost making him more like a Herodian, natural born Roman citizen. It almost, in in some ways, sometimes it almost like, was this guy made up? Because he's almost like too perfect. He's like a little bit of everything. So Paul is this amazing cosmopolitan. I don't know if I'm saying it right. That might be the ice cream flavor. But he's this amazing person that's kind of the blend of everything that was happening in his culture at the time. Uh, So just something to think about how does, how does the author, you know, knowing a little bit more about the author change, uh, you know, the way we read something. And I would be remiss. I don't, I don't think this matters like uh, incredible much, but I would be remiss if I, I didn't mention the whole idea of undisputed and disputed letters with Paul. That's not something you guys should know. Like, you know, I think depending on what tradition you're from, you, you might hear, you know, all the scholars agree that Paul wrote all of these letters. That's not actually always the case. Uh, there's, un- there's undisputed letters that the majority of people are like, okay, these were definitely from Paul, like First Thessalonians, Galatians, First and Second Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and Romans. And then they're disputed. But even there, like, well, maybe some people go back and forth. There's like Ephesians, Colossians, and Second Thessalonians. Probably not, you know, some more like hardcore liberal scholars would be like probably not first and second Timothy and Titus. And the kind of one that everyone agrees, unless like you kind of way out in left field uh, that Paul didn't write would be Hebrews. So everyone kind of agrees, but there are some people who are like, no, he wrote, he wrote that too. Cause some early church tradition said that he did or they attributed to him. Um, that doesn't matter so much for me. Uh, for me, you know, I kind of feel like, you know, it's great literature. It's great truth. It's great stuff. I feel like Paul wrote them all, uh, but that's just my feeling as we'll get into when we do an introduction to Paul about how letters were, were created, which would clear up some of those difficulties. Um, number eight, understanding the context. Uh, what's the setting, right? Paul was a second temple Jew, right? Second, Temp- Temp- second temple Judaism. He was in a Greco-Roman world that no longer exists. Again, this is more stuff. We're going to fly through this because we're going to get into this more next week. Uh, honor Shame Culture that doesn't really exist anymore. And the final one that I want to spend just a little extra time on uh, is to question what you read. So if this was a normal book, right? If th- this was a if this was a book that you know Nick wrote or Dave wrote or I wrote right we would have no problem questioning the book because like i know the guy who wrote it you know i know his history uh you know you would assume actually it's a really good idea to ask questions of a book and that's kind of the highest level that you get to in uh you know how to read a book um but with the bible a lot of times we're we're very very cautious of doing that you know there are things that are thrown around like inerrancy like inerrancy is the concept that it's not possible for the bible to have any errors or for the Bible to disagree with itself or any contradictions, uh, you know, and then the problem is always with us. Like, you know, there's something that we're missing, something that we're, you know, but I I think it's very, very important to ask questions of the text. And I think the Bible itself is actually in a conversation with itself where at times it, it disagrees and it was collected there for us. Like, you know, if you think about Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right, they both lived about the same time. They lived during the fall of Jerusalem. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem and Ezekiel was with the exiles in Babylon. He went with the first wave. And if you read through Jeremiah and it seems like they know about each other because they seem to reference each other, not by name, but in little things they say here and there. And Jeremiah's message is kind of like, guys, we have to repent. We have to repent, you know, or or God's going to do this thing. And Ezekiel is like, there's no hope, (laughs) you know, the doom is already certain. It's it's coming. Like, you know, God has already decided this, you know, he's, he's making this other point. Uh, So just to think about that, that here, like, you know, they put them right together too. You go to, you read Jeremiah and you go to Ezekiel. So they're having this conversation with itself. So we're going to have this conversation together and we're going to try and be brave. We're going to try and be humble. And we're going to try and ask really good questions of the text. And we're going to kind of push aside concerns of inerrancy and concerns of, you know, like whatever that means, you know, and we're going to try and just really just think critically about these documents, think critically about these texts and ask some really good questions. So with that, we're ending our first seminar. Uh, thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, for those of you who are listening live and for those of you who are going to listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much uh, for being a part of this. Uh, I love all you guys. I'm super psyched about doing this together. I've always wanted to do something like this where we do a deep reading of one of Paul's letters. So for next week, uh, if you're going to be doing the reading now, tonight or tomorrow would be a good time to try and get your books. Amazon can usually get it to you next day. You can, if you could just get one this week, I would start with uh, Paul, a biography. And we're going to try and read chapters, the introduction and chapters one through four. It's about 84 pages. Uh, So, you know, if you kind of calendar that in and you read a few pages a day, you should be fine. Uh, Our summer journaling, if you want to get your scripture journal, that's kind of cool, too. You can kind of like start making some notes, start making some observations and kind of using that as a journal. Uh, We also have a podcast if you're looking for more. Um, We did a journey into scripture where I did a deep dive into the letter of Philemon, which was, you know, kind of a nice uh, introduction to Paul there. Uh, And then we also had a few conversations. We had a conversation with Steve and Lisa Johnson about Paul that's up already on our podcast. So you can listen to that as well. Um, Guys with that, thank you so much for being part of our first ever uh, seminar. I do have a Patreon page, up and running uh, for anyone who would like to uh, support us, the work that we do, so we can do more of it. Uh, the cool thing about you know being the first people to support us is that we get to figure out what the perks are going to be together. Um, I've always had an idea of doing like a cool like book club where we just read like cool books, or we do some trips. Maybe we do some hikes. We get out there. We do some fun stuff. So I thought that would be really cool uh, for the first round. A patreon supporters to help us kind of figure out what would good perks be because things like this i always want to be able to keep free i always want to be able to do more of it and uh you know that just takes you know time and energy and i know i know you guys all understand that so thank you guys again so much i had an awesome time with you guys today awesome thoughts awesome discussion. looking forward to seeing you guys all back here uh next week cool man thank thank you
4: everybody
0: all right thanks guys all right right.
1: see
0: uh yes thank you jim nick
1: i know some people gotta go as well but uh thank you for all of our guests uh for david for nick um and uh for andre we'll see you next week and as always adios muchachas
0: and muchachos